All right, go ahead and grab your Bibles. First Timothy chapter six. That's where we're gonna spend our time this morning. First Timothy chapter six. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, as always, there should be some blue softback Bibles over in that cabinet. That's yours to keep if you don't own a Bible. First Timothy six. Now let me just introduce what we're gonna do for the next few weeks. Uh, we are gonna jump into Exodus in about three weeks from now. And we're just gonna be in Exodus until we finish Exodus. I don't know how long that's gonna take, but however long it takes is how long it's going to take. So I'm not gonna put a number on that because you just never know, right? Like last week, I was supposed to go 25 minutes. I went 33. It happens. Um, and we're just going to do what we can to get through it. So for the next three weeks, we're going to do a sermon series entitled Jesus and Generosity. Jesus and Generosity. How does our discipleship of Jesus inform our generosity, change and shape the way that we live for Jesus? So I'll open it this week. And then next week, uh, spring forward, by the way, I'm not going to tell you to turn your clocks forward because we all use digital clocks. Unless you use analog, then turn your clock forward next week. We're going to start early uh, at nine o'clock. It just feel like eight, which for us is like, it's going to feel like 4 a.m. because we just, 9 a.m. guys, PSA, service starts at nine as usual. Uh, next week, uh, Josh Patterson, one of the lead pastors of the Village Church, our sending church in Texas, is going to be out and he's going to preach for us as a part of this generosity series. Now, uh, one of my former professors at Western Seminary, a guy by the name of Randy Alcorn, wrote a book called Money, Possessions, and Eternity. And he did a scan of scripture and he studied the scriptures. And what he noticed is that the Bible talks about or references money 2,350 times. That's 2,300 times. Now, if you take how many times the Bible references faith and prayer and combine them, it's about half of that. So now we're gonna step into some, some interesting waters over the next three weeks. We're gonna talk about money. We're gonna talk about generosity. We're gonna talk about what it looks like to live for Jesus with our money. But what I wanna just... I'm not, I'm not afraid of this topic and I don't want us to be afraid of this topic. I don't want us to get a little squeamish because the Bible is not silent on this topic. The Bible speaks forcefully about how Christians see and use their money. So when I say generosity, what I am saying, it's, it's definitely more than money. To be generous is more than money. But at the baseline, at the foundational level, the way you view your money is, is the measure for how generous you are. The money, money is the baseline of our generosity. So, so I just want us to kind of wade into these waters together with an open hand, asking the Lord to speak to us and shape us around this issue. So let me just spend a couple of minutes giving us four reasons why we're gonna talk about this, okay? I just want, always wanna give us the why behind the what. Why are we gonna spend three weeks doing this? So, so the first reason why we're gonna do Jesus and generosity is because money is important to God. Money is important to God. John Calvin, the reformer, is famous for saying that the heart is an idol factory. The heart is constantly producing idols to, to worship, to follow after, to give our affection to. And the reason why the Bible talks about money so much is because money is one of the most prominent idols that we are always tempted to worship. We are always tempted to enthrone. We are always tempted to deify money. And so because the heart is an idol, 
idol factory. And because Christians are in the business of smashing idols in our lives, we want to talk about this. We want to talk about money as an idol. Martin Luther says that the Christian goes through three conversions, the conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and then finally the conversion of the pocketbook or the wallet. To truly follow Jesus, we need to make sure that our following of him has reached all the way into our wallets. So because money is important to God, we want it to be important to us. Number two, we're going to talk about generosity because we stink at it. Just plain and simple. Um, It's true. All right. So uh, Barna Group is an evangelical kind of research group, and they've done a lot of studies of the American church as it pertains to generosity. And what they discovered is even though Western Christians in 2020 are the wealthiest Christians in the history of our faith, by far, we are also the least generous. Christians on average in the West give less than 3% of their net income to their local church and global mission efforts. And here at Story Church, if we just run the basic numbers, what we're seeing is that most giving units here, what you're telling us, most of them, not all of them, are you, you guys live below the poverty line. That's what we're seeing in the giving numbers. Now, that's not meant to, to guilt anyone or make anyone feel bad. It's just, we just stink at it. And the Bible calls us to be good at generosity and to live for the Lord with everything. So I want us to step into this together and increase our generosity. And now I can begin to hear the objections in my mind, but what about this? I got to pay for that. What about loans? What about school debt? What about groceries? Yes and amen. Pay those things. Let your yes be yes. But during the great recession, about a decade ago, here's even though charitable giving had a staggering decrease in numbers, video game sales went up by about $12 billion. That's B with a billion. That, that, that's that's the, the numbers there. Uh, and the Irvine Spectrum Center, I think that's what it's called, like the Mecca of shopping in Orange County during the Great Recession, year over year over year, reported sharp increases in sales during the recession. So, so here's what we're seeing in those numbers. We always find the funds for the things we love. Plain and simple, we find the funds for the things that we love most. So if our generosity to God and to his church is broken, it's not just that we don't know how to give, it's that we have a broken down view of how much God loves us and how much we're to love him with everything. We find the funds for the things we love. The third reason why we're gonna do a sermon series on Jesus and generosity is because it's a most relevant topic. Studies show that about 90 plus percent of divorce, divorce cases, divorcees, say that money played a or a significant factor in the divorce, 90 plus percent. Uh, this, this past week, uh, many of us cried over, fretted over, thought about, worried about, and gave so many hours of our life to what? Earn money. And on Monday, when the stock market crashes, how many of us get anxious? Every one of us has questions about how to give, how to save, how to invest, how to live. What do we do with extra? What's okay? What's not okay? This is the most relevant topic. And here's the good news, Christian. The Bible speaks to all of these issues and we can grow in our confidence of God in the midst of this. And then finally, we're gonna do this because our generosity and the way we view money reveals our heart and it reveals the gospel. Very few things reveal the state of your heart quite like your money. You want to know the things that you love most, just go look at your bank statements 
your last 300 purchases. Apparently I love Jeff Bezos and Amazon because I spend a lot of money there. It's not all books, but it's mostly books. Now, question, how do you know you're a Christian? Is it because you raised your hand? Is it because you prayed a prayer? Is it because you walked the altar? Is it because you were raised in a Christian home? Is it because someone declared you to be a Christian? How do you know that you're a Christian? Now, the Bible will say you can grow in your confidence that you're a Christian because you are showing evidences of grace in your life. You are bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. And this is no different when it comes to money. We can grow in our confidence of our salvation. We can grow in our confidence in the gospel when we begin showing evidences of grace in how we view and use our money. Money will reveal the heart you possess. And your growth in generosity will grow in direct proportion to how deeply you understand the gospel of Jesus, that God gave everything that we might be saved. So we're going to do this the next three weeks because we want to know the gospel better. We want our hearts to be transformed by the gospel. We want to understand this topic. We want to grow in our generosity and we just want to emphasize what's important to God. All right, we ready for this? Three weeks. Okay, don't be afraid. We got this. First Timothy chapter six. Here's the spoiler alert. Here's the driving question of this text. What's more valuable to be rich in this age or in the age to come? What holds more value, rich now or rich in eternity? And this is a question that's worthy of our consideration, conviction, repentance, growth, all these kind of things. And this is a question I want to answer today. And we're going to answer it by looking at, looking at this text from the lens of three different stories. All right, we're Story Church. We're just going to keep that going as much as we can. Three different stories that Paul is going to paint a picture of. He's going to talk about this story of security, He's going to talk about a story of stewardship, and then he's going to talk about a story of true life. And as we talk about this, I want you to ask yourself the question, what story am I living in? What story am I participating in? What story am I believing? So first, let's look at the story of security. Turn your attention back to verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, let me provide a little bit of context here. So, so Paul, uh, here in 1 Timothy, he's writing to his young protege, his, his young disciple, his son in the faith, Timothy. So contrary to popular belief, Paul was not a pastor. Paul was actually a missionary. And what Paul would do is he'd go into different towns. He would plant churches. He would raise up leaders. He would set those leaders as pastors over this church. And then he would take off and do it again somewhere else. And so in a particular city called Ephesus, where we get the book of Ephesians from, Paul raised up Timothy to take over as pastor. Now, Timothy is young. He's, he's sort of newish to the faith. And as Paul takes off, the, the church goes a little bit wild, right? And it just happens, right? Things, things go on in churches. And, and so Timothy, because he's young and he's new to this, he writes to his mentor, Paul, and he says, hey, we got these things going on. I need some help. I need some clarity. I need some guidance. And this letter is Paul's response to Timothy. Now here in chapter six, Paul is writing about an issue that's apparently going on in the church with money. 
there seems to be some division based upon socioeconomic status. So earlier in chapter six, Paul is gonna condemn false teachers, particularly false teachers that are teaching for monetary gain. He's gonna say, those guys are evil, they're heretics, don't give to them and don't follow them. And then Paul will transition and he'll he'll write to the poor in the church and, and he'll talk a little bit about their heart and about the gospel with them. And then here in verse 17, he's transitioning to talk to the, the wealthy, the, the rich in this present age. Now, let me just pause there and say, when you hear rich in this present age, here, that's me. By every estimate on the world scale and throughout human history, every single one of us in this room is wealthy. Every single one of us has been blessed immensely by God to live where we live in the time in which we live. So when you hear this, don't hear this applies to other people in the room. Hear, this applies to me as for the rich in this present age. And he says to them, Paul says, to that group of people, don't be arrogant because of your riches. Don't create division because of your riches, nor don't set your hopes upon the uncertainty of monetary riches. So Paul immediately goes to this question of hope. He says, where is your hope placed, rich, in this congregation? He, and so, so what he's doing with this hope question, he's actually drawing them into this story of security because think about this. Here's what hope is. Hope is simply confidence in God. Hope is confidence that God is who God says he is and that God will do that which he says he will do. This is why the Christian has hope. God says he is savior and he saves. God says he is merciful and good and kind and loving. And that is who he is. And God says that every promise I give you, I intend to keep. So our hope Christian is not on things of this world, but it's on God himself. And so Paul says, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Don't place your security on the uncertainty of riches. Now, why does he do that? Why is Paul connecting money to security, money to hope? Because money will begin to seed questions of doubt of God into our lives. Money is right in front of us. Money is tangible. Money is measurable. We're all constantly checking. How much is there? How much do I have? How much can I spend? And we begin asking ourselves these questions. Can God really provide for me? Is God really gonna meet my needs? Is God really gonna care for my children and my extended family? And these questions of doubt of who God is and the security he provides us begin to seep into our mindset. And we begin to doubt who God is and we begin to place our hope and our security on the uncertainty of riches in this present age. And really, when it comes to money and our view of money and our security in money, there's really only two ways we can go with it. The first way is what's called asceticism and the other way is materialism or what you wanna call poverty gospel and prosperity gospel. Let me just kind of walk through each of these false gospels for a second. So, so the first one is this poverty gospel. This is asceticism, which Paul will condemn throughout the scriptures and, and especially in Colossians, which we just finished last week. And, and asceticism or the pro poverty gospel will say everything physical, everything material, everything in this world is evil. And, and the goal of our life is to rid ourselves of those things and to embrace kind of a monk lifestyle that God does 
doesn't want me to enjoy things of this earth. God doesn't want me to enjoy his blessings. As a matter of fact, I just need to rid myself of anything that can distract me from God. Now, hear me. Anything that distracts you from God, anything that causes you to turn away from God, absolutely turn from that and run to God. But it's not necessarily money and it's not necessarily possessions. As a matter of fact, here in verse 17, Paul will say, God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So what God has entrusted to your care, you're meant to enjoy. You're meant to use these things. And and by using these things and enjoying these things, you're meant to glorify God and enjoy God as the creator and the gifter of those things. So it's not for selfish gain. It's not for your own purposes. It's for the glory of God. And so what we do when we embrace the poverty gospel is we say money is evil and my piety is tied to my poverty. That's just not true. My holiness is tied to my money. And again, that's not true. Asceticism is simply an attempt to win the favor of God through your performance. And Christian, hear me. You cannot perform enough to win the favor of God. You already have it because of Jesus. You're already saved because of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus alone that provides your security and your hope in the gospel. It's not how much you don't have and it's not how much you embrace the poverty gospel. So that's, that's one side of the coin we can go with money. Now, Martin Luther, he was a bit absurd, okay? He had some weird uh, illustrations, but here's a good one. He, he's talking about the Christian life when it comes to money. He says, you can, you can go on this side of asceticism and like a drunk man trying to get on a horse, you get up on the horse and you fall off to the other side and you embrace the other side of the coin, right? We are people of pendulum swings. When we hear, okay, don't embrace that one. We must go to the other side of the coin and embrace that one. Here's, here's the other one. It's called the prosperity gospel or materialism. Now, let me just say this out of the gates. I hate the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is evil and it's created by America. And it's, as John Piper says, our chief export. If you look out to the global church, many people are embracing the prosperity gospel because of the missionaries we've sent from America, luring people into false promises and false senses of security. And the reason why I hate the prosperity gospel so much is because each of us have bits and pieces of it in our heart that we need to rid our hearts of. It's just part of where we were raised and how we were raised. And I just hate the way it leads us into saying that my salvation, my security, my hope is tied to how much health and how much wealth I have. Because here's how the prosperity gospel works. Look at how healthy I am. Look how much money I got in the bank account. God must love me. God must be caring for me. God must be blessing me because look at how much I've got. Now, the problem with that is a little thing called the Bible. The Bible will confront that head on. And the Bible will say that God's blessing in your life has nothing to do with how much you have in the bank account. God's blessing in your life is the fact that he has saved you, he is keeping you, he is preserving you, and he is near you, that God is present with you. That is his blessing in your life. And the scope of the scripture will say to enter into the kingdom, you are gonna suffer alongside our suffering savior, our suffering king, Jesus. That's just the way of the kingdom. And the Bible will teach us that those who have the least understand the most the presence of God. Because when the only thing you have is Jesus, you realize the only thing you need is Jesus. 
The only thing you need is Jesus, not money, not health, not wealth. So the prosperity gospel is evil. And this prosperity gospel and this materialism will spawn independence from God in our lives. It will create within us an independence rather than a humble, prayerful dependence upon God to be near us, to grow us, to, be, to, to cause our faith to flourish. We see the prosperity gospel on display in the life of the rich young ruler. Jesus tells a parable back in the gospel accounts of a young man who was exceedingly wealthy and he approaches Jesus and he says, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him, you need to sell everything you have. You need to leave it behind. You need to follow me, give it away to others. And the text will say that the rich young man walked away exceedingly sorrowful, grieved in his heart because he loved his stuff more than he loved Jesus. He looked at his, his stuff and he said, this is better. This is my hope. This is my security. Jesus, you're not enough for me. So we must ask ourselves the question when it comes to the story of security, where is my hope placed? Where is my security placed? Is it in my belongings? Is it in my effort? Is it in what I've accomplished? Is it, is it in how much I have? Or is my security placed in Jesus Christ, the one who saved me and sits securely enthroned right now and is ruling and reigning over all things and intends to renew all things and be with his people forevermore? Is that where my security lies or is it in my stuff? That's the question we must ask. Next, let's look at the story of stewardship. Turn your attention to verse 18. They, the rich people, us in this present age, you are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and to be ready to share. So in this verse, we see four commands from Paul to the people of God that we're supposed to do good, be rich in good works, be generous and be ready to share. Now, Paul is obviously just doing a little play on words here. He says, your goal in this life is not monetary wealth. Your goal in this life is not more riches. Your goal in this life is to be rich, to have an abundance of, to have a wealth of good, life, good works and generosity in your heart heart. He is saying Christians are called to enter into the story of stewardship. And, and here's simply what I mean by stewardship. Stewardship is to see everything you have as belonging to God and to be used for God's glory and the good of others. Let me read that again. Stewardship is to see everything you have as belonging to God and to be used for God's glory and the good of others. So the Bible will teach us that God created everything. God owns everything. God rules over all things. And when God created humans, he gave us dominion over his creation. What that means is God delegated responsibility to humans to manage that which he created or to be good stewards of that which he created. And he gives humans this mandate to do all things for his glory and the advancement of his fame to the ends of the earth. And Paul will say the four components of stewardship is that we do good, we're rich in good works, we're generous, and we're ready to share. If we want to enter into the story of stewardship, we must embrace these commands to us. Now, now here, here's kind of an insight into God's creation early in my faith that kind of shifted the way I view this world. Because initially, uh, the way I viewed kind of the world after I became a Christian is like, man, everything's just evil. Get away from me. Get out of here. Like, you create this little bubble, right? And I can't be infected by this world. And that's just not how the Bible teaches creation. We must understand understand the creation account starting in Genesis 1 and 2, not Genesis 3. So in Genesis 1 and 2, the Bible teaches that God creates everything good. 
Everything is really good and it's meant to be used for good and for his glory. Now, Genesis 3 does happen and, sin, and, and humans introduce sin into the cosmos. And when sin comes into the cosmos, it fractures everything. And now we have the ability to be good stewards or to be evil stewards. Here, let me give a couple case studies, examples of this. So humans, uh, God has given us a great amount of intellect as a gift, right? Intelligence, knowledge, intellect. He's given us a fair amount of advances in technology and science. So what we can do with, with these gifts from God is we can take some chemicals, we can study those chemicals, we can harness those chemicals, we can cook those chemicals, we can freeze those chemicals, and then we can, we can pill those chemicals up and out pops ibuprofen or, or Tylenol. And man, that's done a lot of good in this world, right? Or this past week, some allergy pills, right? From science and chemistry and, and all. I needed that bad this past week. Those, that heat wave caused some nasty allergies in my, my home. Now, that's, that's one side of us being good stewards. On, on the other hand, with this same intellect God has given us, the same technology, the same science, the same chemicals, we can harness those things. We can study those things. We can cook those things. We can freeze those things. And out pops Heisenberg and we start producing meth, which has done nothing but evil in this world, Right? So we have the ability to be good or evil stewards with God's really good creation. And so Paul will say the intention of the Christian is to be a good steward, a wise steward. And he says, you do this by these four commands, doing good, being rich in good works, being generous and being ready to share. So let me kind of walk through each of those for a second and do it through the lens of kind of the three T's. You just got to rhyme, okay? Or, or what's that, alliteration? That's alliteration, that's not rhyming. I don't know how to rhyme. Time, talents, and treasures, all right? That's how we become good stewards with our time, our talents, and our treasures. So to be rich in good works requires a sacrifice with our time. We have to sacrifice time in order to be rich in good works. Psalm 90 will teach us to number our days, to live with an urgency because we don't know when the finish line is coming. And so we're to utilize our time for the sake of the gospel. We are, to, we, are, we are not to waste time. We're to ask ourselves, am I using my time for opportunities to glorify God and share Jesus with others? Am I stewarding my time in order to pamper myself or in order to serve others? Because the way of the kingdom is always service. It's always humbling yourself, getting low and serving others. When you think of your time and you think of this gathering, are you thinking I'm here for an hour and a half to sing a little bit, have a little bit of coffee, talk to some friends and laugh a little bit. If that's, this, if that's at the base of what this gathering is, man, there's so much more for you. Enter into the story of service by getting low and jumping on a team here. Be generous with your time by serving others. I mean, if you haven't seen if you just show up a little bit before nine, I'm just begging you guys, show up a little bit before nine, maybe, <laughs> maybe eight o'clock, I don't know. What you will see is there's a handful of people week in and week out that are executing this gathering. And they're not grumbling and they're not complaining, but man, we could use more help on setup and teardown and production and story kids and, and getting in here and getting the table set and community. Like this doesn't just poof. It's not just there each week, but these people are not complaining because they know they have sacrificed their time that people might encounter the living God at this gathering, that people might be transformed by the gospel. They're getting great joy in their service. So enter into the story of stewardship by freely giving your time. I promise you, fulfill is on the other end of that. 
I promise you. So that's our time. Next, we can steward, be good stewards with our talents. We are to do good with how God has gifted us. Each person in this room is wildly gifted. Each person in this room is wildly different. Look around. Each person is wildly needed by this church. According to Ephesians 4, this is an every member ministry. And in order for this church to flourish and grow into the image of Jesus Christ, each of us must freely give our talents to the glory of God, how God has gifted us. So so, so let me just call out some groups of people. Like, are you creative Man, we could use some help with artwork and video and and worship nights. We need more. If you're creative, we want to invite you. We want to engage that group of people in our church. Are you organized? Man, go to any closet that we have for storage here at this church. And if you're organized, (laughs) your skin is going to crawl. Because we, as long as it's out of sight, it's out of mind, right? I know where everything is. It's just not organized. I know where it's at, I promise you. But man, we could use you anytime. Come in, make some labels, build some shelves, like organize some stuff for us. Are you passionate about kids and the gospel? Man, jump into story kids. You will be on the front lines of gospel ministry if you're down there each and every week. Uh, Do you have a ministry idea for for what we can do here? Now, I'm probably not gonna say yes to that, but I wanna hear it. Like, (laughs) just, we wanna hear them, right? I might tweak it a little bit. That's okay. Most of my ideas have been tweaked. Do you want to pray with others? Do you have a gift of prayer? We just sent it out in this MailChimp this past week. Wednesdays, gather, talk to Kelly Hurley, join women's prayer. If you want to to pray more, talk to Hector Arietta. Let's get together, guys, and let's pray more. Uh, Do you know how to fix things? Look around, okay? We could use some handymen and handywomen here at this church. Now, um, Let me just tell a little story of how kind of all this came together. A few weeks ago, a group of us were sitting around my table eating dinner, and we were just talking about some outreach ideas, some better ways to engage our community. And we kind of called Katie over at one point. We're like, hey, how can we better serve the moms in this church? How can we better create avenues for community and gospel ministry for the moms at this church? And she's like, I don't know. It could be as simple as just saying, you're going to be at this park at this time every week. Let's just get together. Let's bring our non-believing friends. Let's have some uh, adult conversations and let's let the kids get some energy out so they'll take a nap that day. And and we just kind of tabled that. We're like, that's a potentially good idea. Now, no prayer, no prompting, no announcement. This past Sunday, a lady in our church approached Katie and she's like, hey, I'm just being convicted by the Lord. He has given us this great house. We have a great backyard with a playground. Uh, I'm a a stay-at-home mom of four. I would love to create some avenues for the the moms in this church and their non-believing friends to get together in my backyard. I have the gift of hospitality. I have a place to do this. Can we create an outlet for that? Listen, that's God working. We didn't even pray about that thing. We didn't even announce that thing. The spirit moved in someone and this lady stewarded her talents and her gift set in order to create an avenue for this. If you want to know more about that, talk to Katie after service. And then finally, we're called to enter the story of stewardship with our treasures. And this is the most important one. Paul says, be generous and be ready to share. Now, a lot of us, we'll, we'll look at the book of Acts and we'll see this wild faith in the book of Acts. We'll be like, man, people were selling everything. They were giving it to the poor. There was no needy person among us. And we'll kind of lift our hands and we'll be like, man, I would love to be a, 
a part of a church like that. And I, I would love to be a part of a church like that. But oftentimes we're like, but that doesn't really apply to me, right? That should be someone else in this church giving up their stuff, not really me. Or we look at the church as an organization. We're like, you're supposed to meet those needs. But what we see in the book of Acts is saints compelled by the gospel, full of the spirit, gave up all that they had and no one had need among them. And people had great sacrifice for that. Generosity always requires joyful, sacrificial giving in our lives. So, so again, like, do you have an extra vehicle? We, we've already had one story at this church of someone buying a car, having an extra one and saying, I don't want to sell this. I just want to bless someone in the church. And that same day, we heard of someone who was in need of a car, gave him a free car. You kidding me? Like if you got a free room in your house, we got a guy we're trying to bring on as an intern and he needs a place to live and he's not gonna pay for it, okay? So if you got a free room, like open up your house for him for the sake of the gospel. Uh, if you enjoy cooking, like and you cook good, man, there's people adopting kids, fostering kids, having babies out the wazoo here at this church. Like cook for them, gift them some meals. Like use what God has given you, the money he has given you to bless others, but... The primary way we're called to give is to our local church, always. So I'm, I'm not gonna dog these communities, but, but you think about like Habitat for Humanity or the 94 GoFundMes you'll see on your Facebook if you log on or, or Water Crisis. And like, those are all doing good in this world. But if you're giving to those things before you're giving to the local church where you're hearing the word, you're in community, you're participating in mission, you're being discipled in the way of Jesus. If you're giving to those things before you're giving to your church, it's just a little bit backwards. And I wanna invite you into the story of stewardship by increasing your generosity to God's church, okay? We're gonna get much more practical with that over the next two weeks of how that's gonna look. I just wanted to go a little bit big picture this morning. Now, final point, verse 19. Let's look at the story of true life. Verse 19. Thus, storing up treasures, if you do these things, you follow these commands, you will store up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, again, the driving question here, what's more valuable, wealth in this age or wealth in the age to come? If you enter into the story of stewardship, if you follow these commands and you live freely and generously, you are gonna store up treasures as a foundation for the future. You're gonna store up treasures into eternity. And what does the end of the text say? If you do that, you will take hold of that which is truly life you will find true life on the other end of good stewardship. Now, here's the problem. Money will spin a false narrative to us. Money will tell us a false story. Here's how the money story goes. Come to me, serve me, worship me, do everything you can to have more of me. Why? Because I, as money, I can truly fulfill you. If you've got me, you've got everything at your fingertips. You want security? Put your trust in me. You want affirmation from others? Get more stuff so that you might impress them. You want joy? Well, a rich person's never sad. You want peace? Get rid of financial anxiety and it's finally yours. You want happiness? Well, then curb the sadness with getting more stuff to numb you. Now, all of those desires, peace, joy, happiness, hope, contentment, satisfaction, those are good longings, deep in your soul and money will tempt you and entice you and say, I can fulfill those longings. But we all know from experience, they truly cannot because money is not intended to fulfill you in the way only God can. 
Only God can give you peace. Only God can give you hope. Only God can give you contentment. Only God can give you joy. And what money does is it, it causes us to put up kind of this finish line in our minds. When I finally make this much money, I'll finally give to the church. When I finally get a promotion, I'll finally be generous. When I finally buy that house, we'll finally be content. When I finally get that camper I've been looking at, man, true happiness is mine. But as we know, the second we cross that finish line, we put a new one up in our minds. It's never enough. John D. Rockefeller, probably the wealthiest American that's ever lived, was asked by a reporter, John, how much money is enough money? Classically, he said what? Just a little bit more. The finish line can never be crossed because the story money will tell you is a false story. But when we enter into the story of stewardship, we enter into the story of true life because money no longer grips our hearts. God does because we're no longer trying to find our joy and our peace and our hope and our belongings, but we find those things in God himself, the one who is truly the source of our security. And what it causes us to do when we enter into the story of true life, it causes us to see everything through an eternal lens, to see everything through an eternal perspective. What we begin to see when we're in the story of true life is everything is a gift from God. When I was a kid, I learned one of the fastest ways I can get in trouble with my parents is if I said I deserve something. I deserve to be on the team. I deserve to start. I deserve a raise. And what did my parents, because they were good parents, say to us? You don't deserve squat. Go earn it. Go earn your spot on the team. Go earn your starting spot. Go earn your raise. Now, here's the wild thing about the upside down king of Jesus. You can't deserve it and you can't earn it. You simply receive it as a free gift of grace. Jesus invites you into his kingdom and he says, I am merciful to you because I love you. I'm gracious to you because you're mine. I love you simply because I love you, not because you deserved it, not because you earn it. And that changes the way you see everything. You did not earn your house. Jesus gave you your house. You did not earn your money. Jesus graciously gave it to you. You did not earn the job you have, the relationships you're in, the neighborhood you find yourself dwelling in. Jesus graciously gave it to you. And when you're in the story of true life, you see that and you recognize that everything you are, everything you have, and everything you do matters because there's eternal consequences for every act of the Christian. So when we go to our jobs and we earn our money, we're not just there to earn money, to pay bills. We're there to share the goodness of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And we're there to earn money that we might free up global mission for God's church. When we go home to our houses, we're not going to our refuges. We're going to cities set on a hill meant to shine light into our neighborhoods that it might attract people to Jesus. When we go to our friends, we know that every conversation matters. And when we see people through the generous lens of the gospel, we share the gospel with them. We share the good news of Jesus and we watch the Lord move. And in doing that, we're not storing up treasures for now. We're not placing our hope on the uncertainty of the riches of this age. We are storing up heavenly treasures, which are good. And we must cultivate hearts of humility, lives of holiness. And friends, let me just remind you, we see the generosity and stewardship of God on display in the gospel alone. That Jesus gave up everything he had. That the father gave his best, his only begotten son, to come into this world, to dwell in this muck and mire, to sacrifice everything he has that we might be saved. 
This is God stewarding what he has, his unlimited riches to save us, his unlimited mercy and grace to save us. It's not because we earned it and we freely receive this. And so we live like Christ in our daily lives by freely giving up all that we have for Jesus, freely giving up all that we have for the sake of others, for the good of others and the glory of God. Now, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of rip this out of the clouds and we're going to get some, some, we're going to let the rubber meet the road, right? We're going to get some dirt under our fingernails here and talk more about generosity and service. But let me just, just say this. The, the goal of this sermon series is not to motivate you to give through the lens of guilt. I don't want you to feel guilty today. If you feel guilty and that motivates you to give, that's going to wear off in like two months. That's just, that's gonna go away. It just is. Guilt is never a proper motivation. Listen, whether or not you've given a dime to any church you've ever been a part of, Jesus loves you and you need to hear that. That is not, your salvation is not contingent on your generosity. The goal of this sermon series is not to motivate you through greed. Like we're not just worried about our pockets here. Like we trust God. He owns everything and he's already provided an abundance for us at Story Church. And I don't want you to be motivated to give through greed, to get a, a round of applause or a pat on the back. Again, that's just gonna wear off over time. The goal of this sermon series is to motivate all of us to have a gospel generosity to step into the story of true life. And the story of true life is one of joy despite how much we have or don't have. The story of true life is one of satisfaction because Jesus is enough. The story of true life is one of hope because his grace is sufficient. The story of true life is one of contentment because our greatest need has been met in the gospel. The story of true life is one of trust that God is who he says he is and God will do what he says he will do. So I want us to understand the gospel deep be motivated by the gospel and grow in our generosity that more might know the gospel. So here's my challenge over the next three weeks. Step into the story of true life by stepping into the story of stewardship. Honestly consider, how am I stewarding my resources for the sake of Jesus? How am I using my time? How am I using my talents? How am I using my treasure? And prayerfully increase those things. We'll talk more about it, but the Christian in 2 Corinthians is, Corinthians is commanded to be a sacrificial, joyful giver. And when you give, man, there's great joy in that as you watch the gospel go forth and people be reached. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you that in the gospel, we see you were generous to us, sinners like us, you sent your son that we might be saved. And so I ask God that we would mimic you in this world. We would be your hands and feet in this world by growing in our generosity. God, I pray we would give till it hurts. Give of our time, give of our homes, give of our resources, give of our money so you might be glorified, others might receive good and people will respond to the gospel. God, we pray for an increase of generosity at this church that we can plant churches we pray for an increase of generosity at this church so that we can send missionaries. We pray for an increase in generosity in this church so that we can reach our community. We pray for an increase in generosity that we might live on mission. God, we pray for an increase in generosity that there would be no needy person among us. God, we pray for an increase in generosity because you are a generous God and we wanna become like you, Father. So we thank you for your son and we ask that you would help us grow in our faith, grow in our trust and grow in our security 
that you alone are our savior. Money can never fulfill what only you can, God. Help us to see that and believe that. In Christ's name, amen, amen.